Welcome to Stories from Nowhere. I'm your host, Randall Bond. Today's story is entitled, Breathtaking. For those of you that have followed my podcast, you know that I often tell stories from my childhood or even some stories from teaching in the public school setting. But today, we're going to take a little detour, a little side road, and I'm going to talk to the author of the new novel, Breathtaking, Courtney Turcott Bond, who's also my wife. I'm very excited about this podcast. Uh, I've been excited about this. We've had this in the works for a few weeks. And so we're just going to jump jump right into it. So you wrote this novel, Breathtaking, but originally you were asked to write a book about uh, finance and saving and budgeting. So how did you get from a book about those things to a novel about called Breathtaking? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, so yeah, this is kind of a funny story. I wanted to be an author since I was eight years old, and it's just been a dream of mine. And when you and I were working on getting out of debt, I had started a blog several years ago, and the blog is called All the Everythings, but I, and it's called that because I would blog about so many different things, recipes and whatnot. Um, but when we were trying to get out of debt, I started blogging, um, every month about our progress to paying off our student loans. And somebody came across that and approached me and said that they were, would be really interested in publishing a book, um, by me to write for them that, um, would be about personal finance. And so I actually took advantage of that opportunity and said, hey, you know, what if I actually wrote a fictional piece? You know, you've seen my writing. You can see that that I can write. Um, and one of my good friends, well, we're both good friends with him, um, is Jay Asher, who wrote 13 Reasons Why. And this would have been right when his book became the Netflix series. And um, he was just gaining a lot of attention again in the media. And I thought that that would be a good um, source to use in my back pocket to really launch a novel since that's in the same genre. And so I convinced them to let me write that instead. So not to dwell on, on, you know, your connections, but how in the world did you meet Jay Asher? So that's kind of a funny story. I think it was Gosh, 2011, it's been a while, and I was scheduled to speak at a Kansas um, or an English teacher's conference that was statewide in Kansas down in Wichita, and Jay was the keynote speaker, and I had a couple colleagues of mine who were in charge of picking him up from the airport and basically entertaining him um, for a day or so for him to be this keynote speaker, and because of that, I we all got to sit at the table with him at this luncheon, and you know I'm not a, I'm not a shy person, and I'm pretty outgoing, and I was like I'm gonna make Jay one of my friends before I leave this conference, <laughs> and so I sat down right next to him and introduced myself, and um, I, I'm a huge fan of Brahms. The uh, for those of you who aren't from Kansas or Oklahoma or Texas, Brahms is this. Um, ice cream joint that's also like a little grocery store and sells burgers and but we don't have it here in Topeka and so whenever I go to Wichita I want to go to Brahms so I uh, told Jay hey we're 
we're going to Brahms tonight. You want to get ice cream with us? And he said, sure, I'll go. And I'm thinking he's just saying that and being nice. And sure enough, we said it was uh, a couple, I think it was four other colleagues and me um, who were all at this conference from my school. And we said, meet us in the lobby at seven o'clock. And he did. And so he hung out with us until I think one or two in the morning. And um, we just talked about everything. And it was like we'd been friends forever. And he, you know, this is 2011. And he said, hey, we should all be friends on Facebook. And and then I introduced you kind of to him. And we've all just stayed connected over the years. And again, I don't want to dwell too much on Jay Usher, but he had a pretty significant portion in helping you edit the book as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So Jay, um, you know, we've just remained good friends and he's been a great um, tool for me to use um, just with lots of questions that I've had in editing and publishing. And uh, I approached him last summer and said, would you mind reading this book and maybe give me an endorsement blurb and um, edit it? And so he, he edited it for me and he's actually working on a memoir himself. And he said, hey, would you actually like to to swap books. And so while he was editing and reading over my novel, uh, this was back in December, I was reading over his memoir and we gave each other feedback. So, but yeah, he was great. Um, and he actually helped me cut about, my, my novel is a little long for the genre and he helped me cut about 6,000 words. So. Okay. So we're going to jump right into the novel. Um, the novel is inspired. It's not about, but it's inspired by actually a former student of both of ours, mm-hmm. uh, Madison Telefero, and uh, just talk a little bit about how you met her, um, got to know her and her family. Yeah, so Madison was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis when she was two years old, and she uh, got super sick when she was about 11 and was told she was only going to have about one more year at best to live unless she got a double lung transplant. So... Right after her 12th birthday, uh, like a month or so later, she got this double lung transplant. She was living in St. Louis waiting for that at Children's Mercy for a while. And um, for about three years, Madison was pretty healthy and she lived a pretty normal teenage life. And um, then in 2015, her body started rejecting her lungs three years later. And so she was too sick to go to school, and she was attending the school where I teach at the time. And I had been hired for several years to be a homebound teacher in addition to, you know, I'm a traditional classroom teacher, but they, my school would would hire me to work with individual students who just were too sick or had an injury or something and couldn't, couldn't make to school, and I would work with them in the evenings. And so they asked me to work with this girl, and uh, I didn't know anything about cystic fibrosis. I had probably heard about it before, but um, anyway, I started working with her, and the very first day I I went over there, her mom's telling me all about her organ donation and how um, there's just all these really cool connections between Madison and her donor, and um, for somebody who gets a double lung transplant, the anniversary of that day is called your breath day because you, you know, get to breathe finally. And um, right when I started working with Madison, it was just about in time for her third breath day. And um, her mom had originally planned to have this huge ceremony for for Madison's fifth breath day, but uh, she had gotten so sick, she 
didn't know that she would ever make it to her fifth birthday. And so um, she decided to move it up to the third one and had reached out to uh, her donor's family. And um, they came up from Mississippi to Topeka. And there was this huge ceremony at her grade school. And um, her mom was telling me all about it. And I, I remember thinking, I really don't even know you guys. <laughs> I don't know, you know, that I even want to go to this. But I went ahead and went and it was so cool. And I got to hear all of these connections. I got to hear from her donor's um, mom. Didn't you find out about the uh, documentary that had been made? That she right. Was yeah. And so at the same time, I, I learned that while Madison was living in St. Louis, um, waiting for her lung transplant at Children's Mercy, they the hospital was actually piloting this docu-series about certain patients who were in the hospital um, for an extended period of time. And they were, I mean, the Talaferos are just such magnetizing people. And I mean, I think the producers were asking some people like, who might be some good candidates for this? And everyone was like, the Talaferro family, you've got to talk to them. So anyway, yeah, Madison was featured in this a docu-series called A Frontline for Hope. Um, it's still available if you Google it. You'll you'll find the videos. And so that was really cool. Her entire transplant was featured on there um, and everything. So there are a lot of people who have actually reached out to me um, who have been following Madison since 2012. And when they heard about this book, um, they knew exactly who I was talking about. So anyway, I... Uh, Got to go to that, and for two years, I worked with Madison about two or three nights a week and just became really close with her, and um, yeah, she was in my class, too, her sophomore year. So how many years ago would have that been when you... That was 2015 uh, when I met her, and I would have worked with her until early spring of 2017. And then she ended up transferring schools, mm-hmm. and uh, you thought at the time... That was kind of it, that you weren't going to see her or family or those four dogs that used to pester <laughs> you when you went over to do the at-home uh, or at-home uh, schooling. And then she happened to transfer up to Holton, where I taught. Mm-hmm. And so we were you were able to maintain that connection, of course, and then I was blessed enough to meet her and her family. So, okay, so we have a little backstory on the inspiration for the story. So um, it took you about three years to complete this um. novel. Is that correct? Yeah, it will be three years in October. Three years in October. So you're a wife, you're a mom, you're a school teacher, and an entrepreneur. How and where did you find time to write? Well, I don't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> so that's the... Honestly, that's a big uh, part of it. But, you know, when I when I first started the novel, it was October 2017, and I was just kind of playing around with it at first. I had drafted the whole plot and um, written the first chapter, and, you know, I, I really got stuck for a while at the beginning because I, I thought I can only... I only wanted to sit down and write if I knew I had enough time to crank out an entire chapter. And like you said, I, I'm a very busy person. Um, I have my um, hand in just a lot of things. And sitting down to write an entire chapter was n- never possible. And so I finally bought a few books a few summers ago uh, about writing. And one thing that really struck me was that um, it said to just write a certain amount of words every single day. What was your goal to write every day? 
I ended up making the goal to write 500 words a day. Okay. And and it said just and how many how many words are in the novel? Uh, well, the first, originally, it was, originally it was about 102,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I think it's down to about 88,000 now, but, uh, I, I made this goal or, or anyway, sorry, the, the book said, just make sure to write every day those and, you know, set a goal for a certain amount of words. And those words may not be any good, but you've got to get them out on the page. And once I saw that, that finally resonated with me. And so I made it a goal to write about 500 words a day. And um, I would do that fairly consistently, but then life would get crazy and I'd kind of put it on the back burner. But um yeah, when Madison passed away, I was only about a quarter of the way through the book. and Was it difficult to continue writing after she passed away? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, you know, Madison knew I was writing this book. And I personally got to tell her face-to-face, actually, when she was a student of yours. And she had transferred to your school. Um, and she was super excited about it. And we had made plans to sit down and talk and for me to interview and get her her perspective on some things about having the disease and, you know, having a short life expectancy. And, um, when she passed away, I was just like, what's the point? You know, she's not going to read it anymore. Um, but it took me a few weeks, you know, she passed away the day after my birthday, which was right around Christmas time. And, um, then I just made the decision, you know, what, what better way to honor her and her story and her donor's story than to finish this book. And so it was really after she passed away that I just went nuts with it. And I made it, I really, I don't think there was a day that went by that I did not write my 500 words. Um, and the summer, so last summer, actually, um, I amped up my goal to a thousand words a day and I actually wrote about 50,000 words or half the novel just last summer. So we've talked uh, just personally about uh, you've been interviewed by uh, numerous television stations and newspapers and um, that uh, everybody's really kind of done a really nice job of highlighting that the inspiration for the book is Madison and that uh, this is a way that... um, you know, there's a legacy for Madison that she won't be forgotten and that, uh, you know, um, what she accomplished in the, her short time on, on Earth won't be forgotten. But there's, a, there's even a more important aspect for you in the book, and that was organ donation. And uh, you just want to talk a little bit about that and what that means. Yeah, so learning about Madison's story with Alex, um, and I'll share a little bit about him real quick. Um, Alex was also a senior in high school. Um, so they both passed away when they were 18, but he was, um, conditioning with his baseball team and it was a Friday. And so on Fridays they got to kind of have a, um, a more fun way to condition. And his coach had said, Hey, why don't you guys just play touch football today? And he was, um, just playing and and his foot got caught in a rut in the ground and it flipped him over and he ended up snapping his uh, neck and uh, it paralyzed him instantly and originally they thought he was going to be a quadriplegic but um, he ended up having a stroke and and not being able to survive he had a severe brain damage and so they uh, and actually became brain dead. So, um, 
anyway, he, his, uh, he, he was an organ donor and uh, ended up saving five different people's lives, and his lungs were a perfect match for Madison. So uh, learning that whole story, and then there's a bunch of other connections that I won't get into, but, um, you know, I, I remember working with her and, and thinking, if this kid wouldn't have made the selfless decision to be an organ donor, I would have never met this girl. And um, Madison was able to live for six more years because of Alex's selfless decision. And so, um, and, and I, I remember when she passed away, I wrote his mom and uh, I said something about, you know, um, thanking your son for the opportunity to let me meet, me, me meet Madison. So, um Anyway, so yeah, that really, I you know, I really hadn't given much thought to organ donation before, and um, and I, I just realized how how important that is, and so um, I really want that to be a message for for people. And you even called and talked to Alex's mom uh, specifically about the book to get some more information. There's a character that's loosely based on alex in the story and you wanted some more information about alex's past and things that happened and she she was a really good resource for the book as well yeah absolutely so um i actually met alex's mom in person um at madison's funeral and again like i said i'm not shy so i just went right up to her and um you know just was able to have a conversation and um you know, we talked about Alex and, and everything. And, um, and then I just brought up, you know, at that time, like I said, I was only about a quarter of the way done with the book. And, um, even though I wasn't sure I was even going to finish it, I, uh, I just brought up to her that I was writing this book and asked if it would, if she would be willing to let me interview her someday. And she said, absolutely. And called her about six months later and, um, did, a very, very long, um, emotional interview with her. Um, and then I did, I was also able to contact Alex's girlfriend at the time of his death and interview her. Uh, they're both from Mississippi. So, um, yeah, there was a lot and lot of research that I had to do for this book and all sorts of, um, different aspects. But, um, yeah, she was, those interviews were vital to, how I structured my story. So you, you talked about research and, you know, being privy to a lot of what happened while you were writing the book. Uh, talk a little bit or a lot about the amount of research that you did. I know you contacted doctors and nurses, so you would have a detailed explanation of what would happen with what Alex actually went through and that um, you visited certain places in the United States so you could get a better idea of how um, characters might interact with their surroundings. Without giving away too many spoilers, would you want to talk about some of that? Yeah. Um, and actually, the the first bit of research I did would have been two summers ago because um, there's, a, there's a character who's a functioning alcoholic in the book, and I ended up interviewing dozens of people. Um, and how did that come about? Because that's kind of a unique story as well. Yeah, so I um, I knew I wanted this character to be an alcoholic, and it's um, apparent in the book. And I actually grew up um, in a pretty conservative Christian home, and never, and still to this day, I have never seen either of my parents drink a drop of alcohol. And uh, and so 
I had no idea, you know, what it was like growing up with an alcoholic parent. And so, uh, in fact, there's this kind of funny story that I tell sometimes that when I was a senior in high school, my mom had received a gift from a coworker, and it was uh, for Christmas and it was a bottle of wine, you know, and I'm 18 and, and I was like, oh, cool. Can we have, can we have a sip? And my mom said, absolutely not. And she uh, opens the bottle and just poured the whole thing down the drain, you know, so I was, that's how I grew up. So, um, anyway, I, uh, I just put something out on Facebook and said, hey, I'm looking for some people who grew up with a, um, a parent who is a functioning alcoholic. If you would be willing to interview with me, please, uh, please reach out. And I just, I had dozens. But you weren't, you were expecting a few. Yeah, I was expecting right. just a couple and I just got, in fact, I think I even said, um, Whoever, if, if you're willing to do this, I'll take you out to dinner. <laughs> and then it was like way too many not people. I, yeah, I did not have enough money to take all these people out. So um, anyway, I ended up mainly doing like, uh, I, I sat down with a few people, but most of them I mainly did like a, an email interview with them. So the beginning process was to reach out because you didn't understand, you know, uh, having a parent who was an alcoholic or functioning alcoholic. But uh, there were several destinations that you visited as well. One of them specifically was Wilmington. North Carolina. So talk about a little bit about, about that trip and why why Wilmington? So I knew when I was drafting the plot and the more research I started doing um, that I can't really give away, I knew that one of the characters needed to be near the ocean. And so, um, and specifically attend a college in, near the ocean. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Kansas and Ohio. And even though I've been to the ocean, I, I'm not familiar with that part of the country that well. And so, uh, and particularly a, a university on the beach. And so I ended up um, remembering my, it's my cousin's fiance mentioning one time that he went to college near um, the beach and, and he's from North Carolina. And so I just called him up one day and said, tell me about this college you went to. And um, realized he went to UNC Wilmington. And I, after he talked about it more and more, I was like, that's the plot. That That's the setting that I need. And I actually brought it up to you because our 15th wedding anniversary was last <laughs> summer. And you and I had planned to go somewhere to, to celebrate because our, our kids were going to be both going to church camp the same week. And so we had this whole week without kids that we could just travel. And uh, I think you were pretty set on going to New Orleans. And I <laughs> brought out of the blue. I was like, how about Wilmington, North Carolina? You know, we neither one of us had ever been there. And you were kind of bummed, like, what? Why? And I said, I until, kinda... until I found out that the USS North Carolina. Yeah. Was and there. then that appeased you and everything right. was fine. So, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I, my, I sold it to you as, you know, we could do this as our anniversary trip and it could be like a research trip for me, but you can go to the USS Arizona and North Carolina. <laughs> North Carolina. That's... Hawaii's a little farther away, but yes. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was a different trip. Um, and uh, yeah, so you and I went there and um, just, I mean, it was a great trip, but 
I did a ton of research. We went on, gosh, four or five tours of the town. I toured the university because so much of the plot takes place at the university. Oh, and one of the things we did while we were there was there was this little bookstore. What was the name of the store? Um, Old Books on Front Street. Old Books on Front Street. And we went in there. And uh, I'm not going to give too much away, but there are several scenes, or at least one scene, um, is literally based inside that bookstore. Yeah. Um, yeah, quite a bit of a chapter, a whole chapter, actually. And um, yeah, I, I, all of that's a little strategic for me. Um, I don't know how well this will work out, but, you know, I, I know whenever I see something in a movie or a TV show or a book that is based off of something real or a place where I've been, there's just something about that nostalgia that hits you and you just have this deeper connection with that piece. And so I didn't want to make up a place. Um, I really wanted it to be based off of a real, real town with mentionings of, you know, actual restaurants and bookstores and that kind of stuff. And so so yeah, that's why I really wanted to experience all of that stuff, and and that bookstore was was really cool. It was just a unique place, and so I intertwined quite a bit of that bookstore um, into the chapter that these characters get to and experience. And they they've even offered to to carry your book in their store. Yeah, yeah, um, they are going to carry breathtaking in old um, books on Front Street in Wilmington. So I'm super excited about that. Um, so that's just kind of full circle for me. So you were talking about how you had contacted uh, your cousin's fiance mm-hmm. and used some information that, that he'd given you. Not And her, her fiance was also a doctor, so you got information from him also about uh, some medical aspects of the book, but specifically about Wilmington. And that's not really an Easter egg, but, you know, that's something unique that people, um, you know, wouldn't have known without you telling them. But th- throughout the book, there are, there are little Easter eggs or little hidden things all throughout the book that sometimes you don't figure out to the very end of the book. And some people may never figure them out. It's only the people that maybe knew about uh, Madison or or Alex or Wilmington that are going to get it. Was that something intentional from the beginning when you started writing? Or did, did it just kind of happen organically as you began to write? Yeah, I think I knew. I don't know how much I had that um, intention at the beginning. Uh, I think... You know, it's funny writing something like this, especially that's so long, it really starts taking a life of your own and of its own, sorry. Um, but I, I I had certain intentions with the plot and as I would write, literally things would just pop into my head and take a different direction. Um, and so there were, especially, I think a lot of those Easter eggs kind of came after I interviewed Alex and Madison's family members and friends. Um, so they would tell me things and I would, you know, just take all these copious notes about stuff. And as they're talking thinking like, oh, that'd be so cool. I've got to, I've got to connect that somehow. So um, I will say that I don't know that I want to give any away for this interview, but there are a ton of things Um and I, I will say there's a there's a ladybug that shows up in in the plot uh, several times, and that is definitely a nod to Alex. So um, the ladybug's got some important symbolism, and um, I've been blessed enough to read I think just about every iteration of this novel from the beginning before any editing started, and every chapter seems to have some significant 
symbolism in it. And same same question was was there intent at the beginning of the novel to include all of this symbolism, or did that again come out organically as you'd started writing the novel? I think most of that kind of came out as I was writing it. Um, and honestly, some things kind of happened by coincidence. And after I wrote it a certain way, I realized, oh my gosh, yeah, I need to I need to do that, or this needs to represent this, or I need to make sure I keep the plot this way. So, um, but yeah, I, I tried to really be intentional with... Um, adding all sorts of symbolism, whether it's colors or names or the seasons. Um, it's, it's all Don't get throughout. too much away. <laughs> um, a lot of the characters, at least to me when I'm reading the book, a lot of the characters seem to be based off of, of real people, not necessarily a completely made-up character, but a real person. I think most people writing probably you've got to pull from something in your memory to create a character, but were there people in mind? for these characters as you were writing them? Yeah, and it's kind of funny because I really don't consider myself that creative of a person. <laughs> and so I uh, um, really had to think about, okay, this is a person that you know or maybe a person that, or, you know, this character needs to be, you know, imagine this person that you know and that's what they're going to act like. Um, so that I could keep them straight. Um, I don't, I'm just not very good about making up something out of thin air. That's why I don't think I could ever write sci-fi or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, there were definitely people, I mean, there's lots of little, uh, stories from your childhood that I got ideas for, for, um, the character of Adam, um, which you've probably talked about some of them in your own podcast, but, you know, you told several stories and I would get ideas from that and, um, friends from, from, you know, grade school and, and stuff like that. So you, you mentioned Adam as one of the characters. Um, and there's another character named Reed, uh, that's in the story. Um, what was the hardest thing about writing for the opposite sex? You know, I didn't, it really wasn't that hard because I didn't write, really write much from their perspective. Um, and I, I wrote it mainly in third person limited. So, um. Explain third person limited for most of my listeners. <laughs> third person limited is when the narrator is, um, not a character in the story. They're, they're kind of explaining what's going on, but they, if it's limited, they can they can give you the thoughts and the feelings of the main character, but not really get inside any other character's head. So the main character is Kara. Yeah. So other than her, is there another character that was really endearing to you that really holds a special place in your heart? This is actually going to be probably surprising, but um, I mean, I, of course, love Adam and Reed. Um, and I think most of my readers like them as well. Um but the mom, actually. Why, why is that? Um, she's probably one of my least favorite characters. That's yeah, why I, I ask. Think, I think she's probably most people's least favorite, uh, or at least one of them. Um, I think there's a lot of things about the mom that um, 
you kind of feel sorry for that there obviously has to be something going on. And um, and this is specifically Mrs. Um, Eckervang, because uh, there's a couple moms. Um, Kara's mom. Yeah, Kara's mom. Um, something had to have happened to make her the way she is. And I don't think she wants to be that way. Um, and I think there's... A little bit of me in her as well um you know being so focused on something that you lose sight of what's important um at times so so yeah that mrs eckervane interesting great answer <laughs> um switching gears just a little bit the novel has uh, has numerous poems but how many poems total do you can you recall? 15. So there's 15 poems. Uh, some of those you've written, some of these, those you co-wrote, and some others you used uh, with the author's permission. Uh, specifically, Adam Boyd Stevens allowed you to, to use several poems from his book, Spinning Between Sunlight and Shadow. Spinning Between Sunlight and Shadow. But there was another author that allowed you to use one of his poems. Tell us, tell us that story. <laughs> This may have been one of my favorite experiences with the whole, whole writing process. So, um, so yeah, I have all of these poems in the book. And one of my favorite po- poets of all time is Gary Soto. And um, I learned about him in college. I teach his poem, Oranges. Um, I've taught it for years and years. And um, I just love it. And I really wanted to include it in my novel. Well, then when my editor was reading through everything, she comes across Gary's poem and says, uh, yeah, you can't use this. It's not in the public domain, which I like I didn't even think that that was going to be an issue if I cited him. And uh, so I'm thinking, well, OK, well, I got to figure out how to get permission from Gary Soto. And so I'm trying to research and find out who his publisher is and who to get the permissions from and everything. And so um, it was a Saturday and I I remember I was, um, I got home and I, I was you know, out doing stuff earlier and I found on his website, there was one phone number listed. There wasn't a whole lot of information for how to to get the permission for this poem or any of his rights. So I just called this phone number and leave a a message and explain what was going on, that I was this author and just wanted to use the the poem Oranges. And I kid you not, in about 15 minutes, I get this phone call from a blocked caller and I go ahead and just answer it. And it's Gary Soto himself (laughs) calling me. And I could not believe it. I was just in shock. And so, uh, and he's just the sweetest guy. He's, um, I think in his late sixties, he lives in California and he was just so sweet. And he said, yeah, you can absolutely use my palm. And, and he, um, sent me, or he said, what's your email? And I'll send you exactly how I want you to cite it and everything, you know? So, and then he, we ended up talking, and he, he writes all sorts of stuff. I mean, he writes for a living and um, writes plays and novels. And he said, you know, I you're an English teacher, and I just finished writing this new play. Um, could I send it to you and have you give me some feedback? 
I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, he was so gracious and he, he ended up uh, sending me a, a couple signed copies of some poetry books of his as well. So, um, so yeah, that alone was just super exciting. Right. So speaking of plays, uh, several people who have uh, been able to receive advanced copies uh, either to give you feedback or to leave reviews um, have said that the book reads and feels and kind of seems like it was made to be um, made into a movie. So, and I know you've heard that before. Um, was there any intent in your mind at all for that to be possible or is it just kind of how the process went and how the book came out? Well, I think that's just about every author's ultimate dream is to have their their book be made into a movie. So yeah, absolutely. I would love, love it if that would happen. But um, yeah, I think um, when, when I was writing it, I definitely had that in mind, you know, if, if this was on a screen, what, what would it be like? like? Sure. Yeah. So speaking of that, when it's made into a movie, <laughs> what celebrities could you see playing your main characters? Well, a couple people said um, they envisioned Kara to be like, uh, oh, like Kristen Stewart, <laughs> which I is she the Twilight Lady? Yeah, oh. which I no, I uh, I don't like that um, that choice. So but... Kristen Stewart, if you're listening to this, no no offense. <laughs> um, but oh my gosh, I really don't know. Don't know. Who would the football coach be? <laughs> I just uh, probably uh, probably you. <laughs> so yeah, yeah uh, there's a football coach that Randy here keeps saying, you know, if it's a movie, I want to play the football coach, but I don't think I I would ever even have a say in that. So that's probably true. Uh, there's there's several scenes in the book that uh, people have told you after reading it have made them cry. They're pretty emotional. What was the first book that ever made you cry? Don't Die, My Love by Laurel Lynn McDaniel. And what's that book about? That book, and I, I read it, it was either 7th or 8th grade, and I just boohooed over it. But um, <laughs> it's about the, the these high school sweethearts, and the boyfriend is a star football player, but he feels you know something's wrong, he's sick, and he uh, ends up having leukemia, and... Uh, you know, they're trying to work through it. How, how are we going to make this relationship work with him having leukemia and not getting to play football and everything? So I definitely wanted this book to touch people the way that, or, you know, when I read that book in seventh grade and the feelings and emotions and all of that that just ran through me, that's what I wanted people to feel when they read Breath- Breathtaking. Okay, so uh, you read that in seventh grade. There, there are several people um some publishers, some authors that have classified your book as young young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you classify your book? When I started writing it, I actually had the intent for it to be young adult. Um, and but yeah, as you said, actually, um, when Jay uh, Asher read it and several other agents and publishers um, looked at it, they said that because you know young adult is pretty strictly um with with characters who are only between the ages of 13 and 18 and this covers kara's life from the age of eight and then all through high school and then when she's 20. um 
So because there's such a span in age, and technically wouldn't be considered young adults. So, um, yeah, that one's kind of tricky. I actually had to ask um, my editor, you know, what she thought, and she really couldn't pin it down either. So, um, it's an, it ended up being listed as coming-of-age literary fiction, and um, it, it really is a book, I think, just about anybody would like. I mean, our son Jackson read it when he was 11, and... Um, really enjoyed it. And I've had middle-aged men read it and cry. They boohooed like I did when I read Don't Die My Love. So, um, yeah, I, I've, uh, I think it's a novel that's fitting for anybody. Yeah. So you talked about how the book goes from Kara at age eight all the way to age 20. And it's kind of broken, not kind of, it's broken into three sections, her, her childhood years, uh, high school years, and then, um, you know, she goes off to college. So three different phases of her life. Was there one of those phases that was, was more fun or more enjoyable to write for you than the others? Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I know when I, whenever I've gone back through and reread it, I enjoy part three the best. Um, and that's when she's in college mm-hmm. or going off to college. Yeah. Um, I know part two was harder for me. Um, to, to write, you mean? Yeah. Or to, What's kind of funny is I, when I finally got to part two, I remember thinking, there's no way I'm going to have enough to fill this book. <laughs> and part two actually is the sig- significantly the longest of the three parts. Because um, once I really started drafting out and plotting more specifically what was going to go on, I, I ended up having way more material than I had thought. But um, but it was that I, I just remember part two being more difficult. I don't know that there was a part that I enjoyed sure. more than the others. Was there anything in the book, or excuse me, was, was there anything that you wrote that you had to leave out or time constraint or length that you wish was in the final product? Hmm. Um... Let's see, well, to add to that a little bit, you know, the book was originally 50 chapters, which um, for those of you who anyone has ever taught with me knows I am a big fan of all numbers divisible by five. Um, So all my writing assignments and everything, they have to be a nice round number um, or I go crazy. And I ended up cutting out three chapters. And so this ended up being only 47 chapters, which kind of drives me crazy, but it's only, only 47, <laughs> but it's, you know, not that nice round number, like 50, but, um, there was a scene where, um, there was an accident, like that there's kind of like deja vu that Kara makes a mistake in her own home. And then Adam, a couple chapters later, makes the mistake in his home. And a similar mistake. Yeah, the, yeah, the similar mistake, and the parents reacted completely differently. And I wanted to have that parallel to show how um, how the parents really foil each other and um, are so opposite. And I remember with when the early stages of the book, I had quite a bit of readers look at it, and I kept getting the same feedback that um, a lot of people's favorite chapters, the chapter called um, Trees which at the time was chapter 10. And um, I also was told specifically by my own father that um, 
it's like, you know, you're, it, it starts out too slow. You, you've got to get to that chapter faster. And so, you know, I actually sat down with you for a while and um, really tried to figure out, okay, how can I reconstruct this first section so I can get to chapter, that chapter faster. And so it's now chapter seven. Um, and there were a couple of things like that, that I had to cut that, you know, just to the overall plot weren't the most important, but um, were definitely hard to cut. Right. Um, so which was harder starting the novel or finishing the novel? That is a good question. Um, I think... Well, I'll say this. Starting was difficult because you... I mean, you're, like, opening this whole new adventure and and knowing... Well, I didn't know how long it was going to take, but knowing... I mean, this is going to be a long process and there's a good chance you're not going to finish it. And so that was kind of scary. But I remember when I started getting close to finishing, I got a ton of anxiety. And um, it's almost like you have this baby that you've raised, but you've raised it all by yourself and nobody else has gotten to see your baby and you've gotten to enjoy it, you know, uh, you're all to, your, all to yourself. And now you're releasing it for everyone else to see. And, um, I remember, um, you know, you were the first person who read it cover to cover. But, um, when I was working with Adam Boyd Stevens to write some poems for me, um, you know, he, six of the poems are straight out of his book, but he also wrote three poems specifically to fit within the, the plot. And he had to read it to, um, be able to write these poems. And, I remember sending him, I think I sent him five chapters because he had to read it to to know what was going on. And I literally thought I was going to throw up. Like, <laughs> I, I was so nervous to have somebody else read like it. Like the critique? Yeah. Or just, you know, it hadn't been edited um, by anyone. And um, yeah, that was so nerve wracking. So we're, we're going to jump to the book's been written. Mm-hmm. It's gone through numerous edits, iterations, changes, and it finally comes time to get the thing published. The book launches September 1st. So how long from the time you finished the novel to the launch date September 1st? So this is actually kind of a cool coincidence. So I was um, checking my Facebook memories today. And um, last year, when I really started um, becoming more dedicated to writing every day about, I don't know, once a month or so, I would, um, would post on Facebook, just my word count and nothing else. So it'd be like, you know, 42,688 words. And I don't know, I was kind of being obnoxious. Like, I kind of wanted people to be like, what is she talking about? And, you know, like, had this little mystery around. And some people figured it out. Because I hadn't really told hardly anybody that I was writing a book, not even some of my best friends. And um, anyway, today in my Facebook memories, it had the word count. And it, and then it said, and done. So it was a year ago today. What is it? August, August 10th. 10th, as we're recording. Um, so I, I finished the first draft 
August 10th. And since that day, I've been editing. Editing. Uh, editing and publishing. Yeah, working on editing and publishing. So a little more involved than just simply putting words on a page and then getting it out for sale. Yeah, and I think I think there's a huge misconception with that, with that, you know, somebody just sits at a computer and it all comes out perfectly, you know, the first time and and you know, go straight to print and there's just way, way more um that's involved than that. So, so the the book we know is gonna gonna launch September first. Mm-hmm. So what would what would success look like to you as an author and a writer? Yeah, that's a great question. Um Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think uh every author wants their book to be a bestseller um and they have dreams of um you know their book becoming a movie and you know while that would be great um honestly you know and i I had to really come to terms with this um just a few months ago um i think i saw that question asked in a writing writing community somewhere about what does success look like for you and um a lot of people said, you know, that I completed something. And um, so that that really resonated with me because, you know, so many people want to be a writer or they um, they might write a book and just don't do anything. It's sitting in a drawer collecting dust. And um, the fact that I stuck with this for three years and um, got it to publication that is definitely success to me and the neatest thing that's happened through this um, with word getting out is I will have so many people that have been writing me telling me that you know they either they were affected by cystic fibrosis or they have a family member with it or um, you know and just they're just excited to have a book and these are people I don't know at all and um, or or other people saying hey you know I'm I've always wanted to write a book. I'd love to get advice from you or just whatever. So being able to connect with other people, but I really just want this to be a book that, um, you know, the, the, you know, of course I've always wanted to write a book and publish and, and that's a huge dream of mine, but to have the connection with Madison and Alex and to, um, you know, this book is dedicated to both of them and to honor them, um, and it to be a gift to their families, I think, um, that above everything is success. I'm sure it'll be successful on all levels. Speaking of uh, uh, writing, uh, are you planning on writing anything else after taking three years to write this? <laughs> are you planning on writing anything else? Uh, yeah. So um, I don't know that I will ever write another fictional book again <laughs> because that was, I mean, this really was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And that's just really not in my wheelhouse. And actually, even though I'm a English teacher uh, and teach literature, um, you know, fictional pieces all the time. I'm I'm more drawn personally to nonfiction. So, um, you know, if I'm going to pick up a book or buy a book, it's probably nonfiction. Um, but someone had brought up to me that you know I should write Madison's biography, and um, I actually brought that up to Madison's mom um, shortly after she had passed away, and. She said, I would not be comfortable with you doing that unless it was about both Madison and Alex. And I just thought 
that's even better. And so I, I do have the blessing from both families to pursue that. And um, that is the, the next goal. So it's not a, a lot of people have asked who have read the book, is there going to be a sequel? Um, I'm, I'm not planning on that. Uh, but this will be a companion piece to the novel. So it will be like, you know, now you've read Breathtaking. Here, now read the real life story about the two people who inspired. Right, because I think some people originally had the idea that the book was actually about Madison. And it's not. It's just inspired by your experiences with her. These are fictional characters in a fictional story. Correct. Yeah. So, and that was something that um, definitely got miscommunicated somehow. Um, I had, or I started seeing a lot of people posting something about that, or they would write me and say, you know, I'm so glad that you're writing um Madison, yeah, about Madison or that you're sharing Madison's story. And um, it's, it's not her story. It's um, there are parts of her story that influence this story. And, you know, and again, it's, it's there. It's it's definitely entwined. And like I said, the book is dedicated to her. I have a little bit of the, of her story in the back of the book and, um, you know, give give um some connections of how you can become an organ donor and that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, this, this next book will actually be about her and Alex. I am sure that when the novel launches on September 1st, it will be uh, received very well and you're going to have tremendous success. And I hope that you'll come back, even though I'm your husband, I hope you'll come back <laughs> after it, it launches um, maybe a few weeks or a month after it launches. And we can talk maybe specifically about some things in the book. Yeah, I'd love that. Okay, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for joining me today on Stories from Nowhere. I'm your host, Randall Bond. If you're a regular listener, I apologize for the last few weeks. I took some time off to help Courtney as she prepared for the book release on September 1st and the book launch on September 5th. If you're new to us, I hope you'll take in and listen to a few of the other podcasts, and I hope you'll all stick around for future interviews with Courtney Turcott-Bond as we discuss in-depth more details about her novel, Breathtaking.